In this episode, we speak to Bodine Horaki, one of our colleagues from the Centre for Multicultural Youth. We speak about intersectionality and what it means to be an Indigenous person of Aotearoa and a gay man, where Bo reveals publicly for the first time. We also dive into topics like meditation, finding home, and what our superpower is as well. So please join us and listen in. Cheers. Look, thanking you for joining us on the Akiru podcast today. And it's a Sunday, it's raining outside, and you know where you'd rather be, sometimes just lying on the bed doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, we thank you for all your support of the podcast to date. And Really keen to dive into your story to understand who you are and the man you are today, Bo. And we've worked for the last few years at CMY together. So we've developed a really close working relationship, right? A lot of respect between the two of us. Mm. And look, I'm just glad that we could have this platform to, to share your story, to maybe capture a point in time of where your life is now. And maybe, who knows? 20 years from the future, you look back and you can have a snapshot of history mm. as well. So before we begin, and I'd like to invite yourself and the listeners at home to join me for the meditation. Our, our starts have been a, a moment in mindfulness to allow us to center and ground ourselves, but then to open up our hearts as well. We go through this society really focused in the brain and in the mind. And it's very easy to get into that hustle mentality of just doing more and more and more, right? And mm. I find very rarely that you, you do take a moment to stop and then to listen to your heart. So inviting you to come into a comfortable seat and when you're ready, gently closing down the eyes as well. Recognizing where you are in this point in time. Feeling the foundations supporting you in where you're seated or where you're standing. Feeling the ground underneath your feet. Feeling the seat underneath your bottom. And feeling your backrest supporting your spine in that seating posture. A beautiful anchor point of meditation is your breath. Your breath is a key to understanding your feelings and emotions at the time. And let's take a short moment to find and place your awareness into your breath. Is your breath short and shallow? Or is it full and deep? Feeling the different dimensions of the breath as well. Feeling the inhale through the nose as it puffs up your chest and fills your lungs. And on the exhale, feeling the release, the expulsion 
of impurities that your body doesn't want. And through the inhale, feeling your life force, the universal life force, entering your body. Then on the exhale, shedding away all anxieties, all ill feelings. Meditation is an art, but also a science. The art of it is accepting any thoughts that may come up in your mind. Because they do, and you can't stop them. So there is an element of acceptance, of watching passively with neutrality and ease. And just letting your thoughts float away and fly away, just like clouds. So as we're sitting here, observing our breath and placing our awareness on the life force that's been given us, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we're meeting and where you may be listening on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation who have been the custodians of this land for, for time immemorial. For as long as history can remember. Their connection to this land is so special. And I want to honour that here today. So when you're ready and wherever you are, just slowly dropping out of your meditation in any way that you want. You might keep your eyes downcast at the floor and at your feet while you gently Open up the eyes. You may want to, yeah, just rub the pads of your fingers together and just feeling that sensory sensation of touch as you remind yourself that you're human and living in this human experience. So when you're ready, and I'm open for any feedback from yourself, Bo, as you sit here across the room from me as well mm. on the practice and maybe 
your journey through mindfulness and whatever that means to you as well. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. What a powerful way to start this, um, yeah, this conversation. Um, yeah. It's funny because I've been doing, I've been trying to get myself into meditation. It's not something that I've, you know, traditionally done. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to do that for myself and yeah. using YouTube and, you know, the things that are already out there. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> but that just hits, that, that, that hits different. Just being there in person, hearing, going through that. Um, yeah, it's definitely. And I think too, having that connection mm-hmm. of being right next to you yeah. and hearing your voice um, just adds that little element of specialness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. That was amazing. Um, there's a couple of things that were going through my mind as you were, as we were going through that as well. And mm. um, one thing is, is thinking about my own sort of consciousness and my own thoughts um, and recognizing when I was going away and I'm like, you're speaking, but my thoughts were going somewhere else. I'm like, hang on, bring it back, bring it back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Come, you know? Um, so that was interesting just to recognize that. Um, and, and yeah. And then the other thing was, um, I don't know about, there's something about bowing your head. Mm. And for me, I was, I recognized as well that I'm sort of, I don't know if it's a cultural thing as well, because in, in Maori culture, where I'm from in Aotearoa, we, when we pray and we do, it's probably a religious thing as well, mm. is you bow your head and you put your, your head down and you don't, even when you're speaking to someone, it's not common for us to, to look in, into each other's eyes in our culture as yeah, well. Right. So that just being, um, yeah, aware that like I, as soon as you started speaking, boom, I went down, mm. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. Bills. It's fascinating in, in Asian culture, bowing is a sign of respect mm. and of deep respect mm. as well. And I was in a yoga class yesterday with Anzri, who we recorded yesterday with her and she's a, a close friend of mine. And after class, as she closed her practice, I don't think she, anybody else did that, but just gently with my eyes closed, hands together, it was just a bow of, a bow of thank you and respect mm. and, and, and honor as mm. well. So we definitely do that in our culture. And I think mm. it's it's so beautiful to maybe put your, it puts you in a state of vulnerability, doesn't it? When you yeah. bow your head yeah, because your eyes are down, it's not looking at whoever else it is. Mm. And maybe in our primitive days, as you, as you bow down, like you're putting yourself in danger because mm. your eyes aren't activated mm. anymore. Mm. Yeah. I think another thing too that as you were talking and how you incorporated the acknowledgement to country mm-hmm. into the meditation process i think also i felt that and that you've because i i think you go through a process as well and i've, I've been through my own process of mm. um acknowledging acknowledging the traditional owners and what those words actually mean and being in this space being in a meditative um i don't know what you would call it but yeah. a state of meditation and then going through an acknowledgement of country, it, it becomes more real for you or real for me. And I actually am listening to your words mm-hmm. and what that actually means. So, yeah, it's good. Well, we appreciate the words even much more so as we are, as we're wiping away all other thoughts and we're not wiping away all other thoughts, but what we're doing is being conscious and being focused on mm the present moment which is what meditation is mm. all about and i do see that that because of where we are in society and because of the recognition that we want to give our first nations people is that a, an acknowledgement is is true and correct but sometimes it is and it can be the thing that you must say mm. before you go on to say your other things right so I've been lucky enough to sit in an acknowledgement of country training as well with uh, a group called Acknowledge That. And they're based in uh, Perth and from Noongar country Mm. and incredible young artists and speakers who I really encourage everybody to, to sign up because it really 
changes how you approach an acknowledgement to country as well and and to feel comfort in making the acknowledgement your own and what it means to you mm. and rather reading out a script and then saying yeah. all right moving on to the next thing right because it, it, it is important mm. in what we do so i'm, I'm fascinated mm. to understand your maori culture and mm. heritage as well and what it really means to you because you're a close friend of Tyson's and we had him as a guest on our podcast Mr. as well. Duala. <laughs> Tyson. He's, he's, he's a great dude, right? Mm. And what we were inspired by was his connection to culture was so spiritual, mm. was so sacred. And I can see the markings on your body as well with your tattoos. And from what you've said, it's a piece of you. It's your story that's branded on you as well so mm. I'd, I'd love to hear it wherever you want to start and wherever yeah. you want to go with it yeah nice um <clears throat> i think when i think of me and who i am and my journey my journey as Bo starts hundreds of years ago when my tupuna my ancestors mm. first traveled to aotearoa new zealand yeah and thinking about that and the journey that they had to take from traveling from Hawaii to um, to Aotearoa and the, what they had to overcome to do that and traveling through the seas and navigating the oceans and all the elements that are involved in that to be able to get to New Zealand, to mm -hmm. Aotearoa. Um, I'm thankful for that, so I acknowledge them. Mm. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, for my ancestors mm. and my, um, my tupuna. So that's where my journey starts, it was way back then. Um, which brings me to the person I am now. Yeah. Um, I am a, a Māori man, proud Māori man. Uh, my my roots are grounded in where I'm from, um, and you probably would have heard this from Tyson as well. And, and funnily enough, we are from the same um, area. I think you did mention that yeah, in, his, yeah. um, in his story. Um, very closely, we're literally like two valleys over. Um, so I'm from a little a little place called Omanaya in the Hokianga, mm. uh, which is the north of the North Island in, yeah. in New Zealand. Uh, beautiful tropical area of of New Zealand, very isolated mm. um, and very tight knit. So that's where my roots are grounded. And saying that I didn't grow up there, which I think is a part of the story of mm. of. Um, being Māori and, and the effects of colonisation yeah, as well. Okay. So I grew up in another little place called Murupara, which is about seven hours um, from where I'm actually from. Mm. And we moved there because of work, my, my parents. And, right, yeah. Um, you know, had to make money. And so that's where we, where we went. And um, so I grew up in a little place called Murupara. Uh, when I got to high school age, I, we moved because my parents recognised it. They're like, oh, hang on. My, our kids think they're from down here. Let's take them back home. Yeah, so we went all the great. way back up north um, mm. just before high school for me. Uh, so I did high school um, up in a place called Whangarei, which is probably the the city center of the north of, of where we're from. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's where that's sort of my my journey in life and um, being able to grow up in those small knit community villages also is why I'm who I am. Yeah. Um, I'm a village man. I'm, I'm a community man. Yeah. Um, I, I come from a long line of social workers. My mother's a social yeah, worker. Right. My sister's a social worker. My dad's recently in the last sort of five to 10 years has gone into that space as well. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that it's, it's ingrained in me. Um, Communities ingrained in me. Mm. Um, growing up with that village mentality is ingrained in me, and it's like that. It's a, it's a story of all, most Maori um, in New Zealand as well. So that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. um, so when I think about that as well, you know, I'm from <clears throat> I'm from a place called Omanaya, and when I think of my home and where I'm from. Uh, we have a really deep connection to the land and the sea and community as well, um, quite like other indigenous cultures yeah. across the world. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you my mountain, my river, my ocean, the waka, the, the boat that um, 
my ancestors sailed over to New Zealand from. I can tell you all of them. I can tell you where they are. Yeah. Um, and that's part of my identity as well mm-hmm. um, and my story. So, <clears throat> yeah. What do you mean? You can tell me about where the waka and the boat and, and the mountain. What is your mountain? Tell me about your mountain. Yeah. So, I have um, – <clears throat> I'm from quite a few different spaces in, in New Zealand um, if I'm looking at sort of my – genealogy my line of my mother's and my on my father's side but um I'll, I'll just go with my father's yeah. father's side um which i know the best and so we've got two mountain we called them maunga um and they're pukehua and pukehaua mm-hmm. uh, which is the sits at the back of our marae if you ever um google omanaya yeah you'll see the little marae which is our our hub, our building, that's mm-hmm. where we all our ceremonies take place. Yeah. Right behind it are two massive mountains. Those are my mountains that I that I um, identify to. Right. <clears throat> and then we've got a the the marae is called te, uh, te Piti, and then we've got a river that snakes around it, which is called the Omanaya River. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of being who we are is we each tribe, each iwi has a waka that they're associated to and that waka is the one that they came that we came from from Hawaii. Yeah. Um and my waka is called Ngātuki Matafaro. Um Rua is two in Māori, so mm-hmm. it's a double hull um waka if you've ever seen a traditional um yeah, waka okay. sort of like a canoe. Yeah, yeah. Um it's a double hull canoe. Mm-hmm. Um and it sits it's currently sits in a place called Waitangi. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you might also hear the Treaty of Waitangi, which yes, is the, yes, yeah. the document that we have in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, my waka sits on the treaty grounds. Wow. And this massive, beautiful, you have to, if you're not from there, you have to pay to go see it. <laughs> but yeah. if you're from there, you can go and see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are my, what what draws me to my my identity. That's, that's who I am, is those landmarks. And you go back to the story of when your ancestors traveled here from why hawaii hawaii mm. where is that place now in in the modern day context yeah <clears throat> good question um probably the question that we all ask ourselves yeah um and and i think if you ask any maori where hawaii is they probably can't tell you and i i actually can't tell you mm. where it is yeah um but essentially if you put it in into Western contexts or, or religious contexts is sort of like the promised land where we mm. came from. Some people say it's Hawaii, um, yeah. but also I think there are stories of of migration of the Pacific Islands that come from sort of Southeast Asia as well. Mm. So there's all sorts of different things. So Hawaii is just that place that we came from. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the the journey of the Pacific Islands, they came from somewhere. And then they went through all the islands, Tahiti, Samoa, mm. Tonga, the Cook Islands. And you'll see the similarities in our cultural yeah. um, practices as well. And the last stop was Aotearoa, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So we, we were the last ones to get off yeah. um, the waka. And um, yeah, so th- 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 that's sort of like the short answer. Is that, no, I don't know where so Hawaii beautiful. is, but it's it's there. It's so beautiful because it's a mystery that, your people, your ancestors all live with now. Mm. And, but the mystery informs you as a person and your different connections to the region as well. And it's so romantic hearing that you've, you've got a mountain and you've got a river and mm. that you identify on such a spirit connection with as well. And I remember in the past you telling me about just your connection to land water and air as well and do you want to tell me what your different connections are and, and what that means to you then yeah and um i think when i think of that i for myself i'm still on my journey mm. of figuring out what that is and i think it makes it harder not being there and it, and it mm. actually sort of makes me a little bit angry <laughs> like man yeah you know, why did i have to leave uh, but that's another story yeah yeah um but i think yeah i'm still on a journey of finding myself and that identity and that connection to my land um but i'm i'm also grateful for what i have learned 
Um, I've been surrounded by some incredible people um, in my years of doing community work in, mm. back in New Zealand and Aotearoa, um, as well as sort of growing up in that environment of cultural identity. Our, my parents were um, quite staunch in their Māori, Māori tanga or Māoriness as well. So mm. um, having the language at times spoken in, in the home was, was really helpful. Um, but also even just that recognising that, hang on, you're not from here, we're going to take you home. And then we're like, oh, we thought this was home. But yeah. actually our home's <laughs> up there and it's like Sparks is like, oh, okay, we're going home now. This is We have to learn where we're from. Mm. Um, so to sort of answer the question, I think I'm, I'm still on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have learned is that we are incredible, strong, um, people, mm-hmm. um, and I. That gives me strength in anywhere. I can go anywhere in the world if I know that. Yeah. If I know I'm Maori and I know where I can go home to, and mm-hmm. that's my home. Like, yeah. I, I've always got a place in the world, and if I need to go back, I'll go back. And one day when I'm when I need to be buried six feet under, I'm going back there. So, <laughs> um, just I think knowing that gives you power. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. matter where you are in the world. I know that that's that's where I can go. That's incredible because you speak to, and I've spoken to a lot of people and that connection to home Mm. is different for everybody, right? But I guess as an Indigenous person to that land, that connection to that land, it's so deep-seated in your body, in your veins, in your whole being Mm. that that's where you want to go back to, all right? And I ask this question a lot, what does home mean to you? And on the podcast and, and throughout life. And some people are forever nomads as well because of the opportunity that they've been given to access cheap flights and, and jumping on a plane and, and going to another location and, and migrating, mm. forever migrating as well. So with your village mentality and with your sense of community spirit, how has that translated into your work today mm. because when you're doing community work you you give a lot as well and i'm finding that a lot of that is a lot of the work is unsung it's unrecognized and you go through the ups and downs of giving to others so i guess for me meditation helps me ground and helps me find me back into my element so that I could recharge and then go out to give more. So how do you find um, settling into your, your ground? How do you, do you have any practices that you have that you can charge yourself up with? Mm, Yeah, I think, uh, and before I get into that, I think there's one thing that I just want to recognize as well as when I speak about that connection to my land and my country and my home, I want to also recognise my privilege in that and that I understand that there's a lot of people across the world and here in Melbourne, mm. even people back home in, in New Zealand, Aotearoa, that don't have that and that, yeah, I, I think I'm in a, in a position of privilege when I can say that that's my home where yeah. others I think may not or home could be different to other people, may not be their traditional home. Mm-hmm. Could, they could make home somewhere else. So I just wanted to recognize that as well i think it's yeah. really important um in terms of how do i recharge myself i think yeah and, and it all links back to my culture mm. um whanau, which is family is important to me mm. um that's who i am that's before anything else i'm an uncle i'm a brother i'm a son i'm a grandson mm. um so my family are what ground me um, even though I'm like on the other side of the Tasman Ocean, um, mm. they're, they're there and yeah. they're always there. Um, so if I ever need to be pulled up on anything, you know, my mum's on the phone or someone's on yeah. the phone, you know, yeah. pulling me yeah. up. So um, having that and having my family around me, um, and that doesn't need to be blood as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have whānau is a, like a term, it's, it's – a term that used it's sort of like a broad term that you can like you're my whanau. like you know mm. um you could be friends 
but you become family. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that and and the village that I've been able to create for myself here in Nam mm. um, is super important. I think that's what helps me. Um, another thing as well, and, and relates back to my culture, is um, song. Um, mm. Song, um, we call it kapaka. Um, so I'm part of a cultural group. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing a T-shirt at the moment, which um, is Nga Matai Pūrua, which you, you had Tyson on mm-hmm. um, last time, and um, he's heavily involved in this. And I'm a, I'm a performer for um, Nga Matai Pūrua, which is a Incredible. Melbourne-based um, cultural group. And that as well helps me to ground myself, mm. helps me. To, and I do that. I don't need to be performing to do that. I don't need to be mm-hmm. in any space. I can do it in, at home in the shower. Yeah, you know, I can do it anywhere, um, and that tells a story. Song, the songs that we sing, the motiatia, the chants, the prayers that we do, that we perform, have story and meanings. Mm. And I can sing or I can chant in whatever situation I am in to ground yeah. myself. Okay. Um, I guess as I'm talking, I'm like, that's quite similar to meditation, right? You, yeah, You absolutely. can do it anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it helps to ground you. And that's that's my meditation is mm-hmm. being able to just sit there and sing or to chant. Um, yeah, that helps me to ground myself. So the thing with meditation is that most people think it's sitting in silence and focusing your breath and uh, going monk mode or something mm. like that, right? But meditation could be any form where you find effortless effort Mm. i think so you could be drawing or sketching you could be out there running you could be boxing for instance any activity that takes you out of the mind and into the body for me that's a meditation you could be riding dirt bikes or Mm. something like that or you could be surfing surfing is a great meditation for a lot of people because you're out there in the water you're trying to catch a wave, but you're also trying not to drown mm. at the same time. Mm. So you can't have your mind wasted on other thoughts other than staying on your board, catching the wave, and then being safe the mm. whole time as well. But one of the other things that I wanted to speak to you about, and I saw on TV today a, a debutant in the NRL, I think it was, and I think he played a great first game. And at the end of the game, he went into the crowd and he performed a haka. Mm. So traditionally, and before last week, I thought it was a war cry, right? That's my conception of it growing up here in Melbourne, in Australia. That's what I thought it was, a war mm. cry before uh, when the All Blacks play or something like that, right? That's, that was my knowledge. But when I saw this footage... He was performing the haka, but then in the crowd, others were performing back to him mm-hmm. and scattered around there. And I find that just a, an incredible power of, of respect, a gesture of such power and respect. But mm. I'd love to hear from you what was actually happening there when he was standing there and performing it after his game and people were performing back to him. What, what does that all mean? That's a... Uh, that's- an incredible sign of respect um and that's how we show love and appreciation and respect for you know we perform haka at weddings at funerals Mm. at pretty much every ceremonial you know um thing that we do we would perform haka uh it's a way of yeah showing that you love them um and that respect that you have for them, that deep respect. And it's really, you know, when I perform haka, there's this, like, energy that you have. It's like a, phew, you know, you finish, you're like, you just left it there. You're like, yeah, this is me, take it, you mm. know. Um, so I think for for that particular situation, it was a sign of love and respect, um, which is it's an incredible thing to have, you know, and I think... When I think about haka as well, I think what a unique way of showing that. Mm. No one else in the world does it. No one else. And so when you see a haka, you know Aotearoa New Zealand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a powerful thing to have as well. 
for the person that's performing it you know this is me this is who i am boom <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. also it's so infectious mm. as well because everybody and anybody can join in right it just depends on their feeling at yeah. the time as well and i've seen footage of in uh new zealand schools where it's just a hall full of young men mm. performing the haka out of respect to the principal i think that, that video was at the time and yes yeah, just so powerful mm. so incredible to to cultivate this as a practice yeah from your culture as well it must make you feel incredibly proud yeah as well then too hey yeah 100% it does but we talk about intersectionality in diversity these days as well so we're here talking about your cultural diversity mm. which forms a big part of yourself mm. but another part of yourself through i would think a lot of self-discovery and a lot of courage to also come out as a gay maori man mm. as well how's that been as a journey for yourself yeah it's um it's it's interesting and i i think you know I'm very proud of that as well. I think just to start, I think I am um, my coming out journey is something that I think is is quite different. I think to most gay people that I that, that I've heard and that I've had the privilege to hear their yeah, story. Yeah. Um, and my story is is quite simple. Um, I came out at a later age, um, mm -hmm. around 27. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like a big hurrah announcement type thing it was just you know i got a partner and that was it you know yeah. i just fell yeah. in love yeah um and i think before that there was definitely and as i reflect on my life i think there not i think i i know that there was some suppressing of feelings and, mm. and thoughts that um i know a lot of um maori or just men have um, but more so in the Māori context, um, we come from strong masculine energy and yeah. um, that, if you look at it in a traditional sense, it doesn't align with being, mm -hmm. uh, or not traditional, it's more looking at the context of gay culture, it doesn't yeah. align, you know. Um, so I think for me that I struggled with um i struggled in silence which mm. like most most maori men do and continue to do um but coming i think just relating that back in and and reflecting back as well to the people that i had around me at the time made it easy mm -hmm. um and again i acknowledge my privilege in that that i know it's not easy for a lot of um other gay men that go on that journey of self-discovery and that yeah. they may not have a lot of the time they don't have the the people or the support around them um to be able to do that so um yeah i i acknowledge that as well and i'm always having conversations with other people especially my partner around um you know my journey and relating it back to his and like mm. so different yeah um and hearing what others have gone through through high school and you know the bullying and the i'm sure yeah you know, it's uh i never experienced any of that because mm -hmm. um, i don't present as a your typical gay male yeah um yeah. so i never had to go through that struggle yeah which yeah i acknowledge that and you know i'm quite privileged that i didn't have to go through that um, but also makes me sad that when I speak to others that they did, mm -hmm. and I think I have a role to play in that. And um, and and this is a um, big thing for me, actually, Liam. I've never actually spoken publicly about this because it's not something that I yeah, yeah. feel like I need to. Yeah. Um, but the more I think about it, and the more I thought about having this conversation, I think, well, actually, I do. In um, mm. the spaces that I am in, and the the privilege that I hold is that I actually do have an obligation. I I feel yeah right to yep. share my story, um, and to offer support. And I do through my work and and through mm. all of that I do. Um, but yeah, I think just going back to that whole thing, it's, I 
uh, it wasn't a big thing for me. In my yeah. appearance, you know, nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. Just, it, was, it was a beautiful thing, actually. Um, yeah. And my dad, my dad's a minister in a church. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, and uh, it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. It, it wasn't, uh, and it's quite my father's relationship, and he'll, he won't mind me saying this. Um, my, me and my father were um, interesting relationship, but a, a loving relationship. Yeah. Um, and, we never actually spoke about it mm. um, when I did when I did come out, um, but there was a moment where I, I went home and I took my partner home mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of years. And as I was leaving, he just grabbed me and hugged me and told me he loved me. Wow. And they, you know, just that was all I needed, um, and that was his way of saying, "It's all good, son. Yeah, I love you." Yeah, yeah. You know, without, because he's like a. Manly man doesn't, you know, he doesn't like talking about feelings and all yeah, of that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, for sure. being able to just have that and feel that and hear the words was like, cool. Like, yeah. That's, that's what I needed. So yeah. I didn't even need it, but that's him saying, you're a good son. I love you. You're all good and you yeah. can move past it. Mm. I guess not that you needed to move past it, but the acknowledgement is so powerful. Yeah. As well, because also having a father who is quite stoic. Mm is that you don't get much out of them. But when you do, it is so meaningful mm. as well. So I'm, I'm curious on, on how you'll use this awareness of your intersectionality of being an indigenous man, being a proud gay man, to inform the work that you do in the future as well. Mm. But now, because now reflecting back, but also looking forward is that you say you've got an obligation. How how will you support your communities mm. in the work that you do? Yeah, through yeah. I guess reflection and having the awareness and and telling your story because mm. of your lived experience, right? Yeah. What I didn't realize before working with CMY was that lived experience matters. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think when I relate that to like the work that I do, well, currently the work that I do around providing space for young people mm -hmm. to be able to share their story, to share their lived experience and yeah. give it value. I think that in itself is sort of like um, a way for me to uh, take young people that might be struggling with the identity on their own journey of self-discovery mm -hmm. um, by simply just providing that space for them to do that, which I think we don't provide enough of in society mm. um so there's like a, and and for myself looking at like what's the future look like for my career or thing this stuff doesn't it's not a job to me i mm. don't see it as work yeah but i think just living my life and my journey my lived experience <clears throat> um that's it right there and that's you know i'm just thankful that i get paid to do it you know? <laughs> <laughs> but but um I'm not going to change or fit into a box to tick a box mm. um, so that I provide the space. I literally just need to live my life um, and live it in a way that is truthful, that it goes with the love. And if I do that, then it opens doors for others mm -hmm. to do the same. Um, and that's, I think, just my like one thing that I'm always going for. And um, so I don't really have a plan. I'm not like thinking, oh, I'm going to set up a, a center for, um, you know, <laughs> LGBTQI, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not about that. I'm mm -hmm. all about whatever. It's just responding to the need um, whenever I feel it and whenever it resonates with me. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this is a new journey for me to even speak about it. Yeah. So now I need to use that and look at, okay, so how am I going to, provide that space for others mm -hmm. um, to do the same. But it's in your own time, mm. right? It's whenever you feel comfortable mm. to be able to do so. And look, doing community work, you, as I mentioned before, you give up a piece of yourself out there in service. So that recharging is always important. And I feel honored and, and thankful that you're able to come, come out and, and, and share this publicly on, on this platform. Mm. as well so we we've dived through your sense of community with your maori people here 
in Melbourne, Victoria. What are the challenges that your community are facing at the moment? Because there are some new laws now mm. that grant citizenship and mm. fast tracks through that process for mm. your people, right? What, what What's happening in your community and anything you can share in that regard? Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's a step in the right direction. I think for us as a people um, to be able to, and I think it's like reciprocal as well because Australian citizens can go to New Zealand and get all the rights and the privileges that New Zealanders mm -hmm. have, but we can't do it here. Yeah. Um, and I get it, you know, there's probably more of us coming over here than there are going yeah. over there. But, um, I think too for, for Māori and New Zealanders living in, um, in Melbourne, Australia, is um, it really recognises to the, the contribution that we have to society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's, I, I don't know the, the exact changes in the law, but I know there's mm -hmm. a lot, even just the pathway to citizenship yeah. is like pretty powerful for us because there's a lot of us that haven't been able to do that, that have been here for five plus years mm -hmm. um, and still not able to go for citizenship. Yeah. So um, I think there's, yeah, I think there's going to be some massive um, impacts for our community living here because I know there's been some massive barriers around accessing um, supports and mm. um, whether it's financial support or healthcare and all of that kind of stuff that you know we need to just live everyday lives and yeah. we've been here for forever. <laughs> um, yeah. So just even just recognizing that is good as well. How did your family come to Australia? So my family is not actually here. I came here by myself. Yeah, right. Um, my family are all back in Aotearoa. Mm -hmm. um, I, five years ago, I um, decided that I needed a change. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing about me is I'm, I don't like comfortability. As soon as I start getting comfortable, and you'll see if, if well, my family probably laughing at this, but if you look at my life, yeah. there's a pattern that mm -hmm. goes on. Like I go into something and then I'm there for a bit and I get bored and then I'll change it up and go somewhere else. Yeah. Be there for a little bit and then I change it up. So, um, yeah, about five years ago, I was sort of like in my job. It was the same old thing. I felt like I was hitting roofs. I couldn't mm. progress yeah. more than I was. Um, and the only sort of option that I felt at the time was to just leave Whangarei. Um, I had been to Melbourne before yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I came to Melbourne when I was like 20 um, for a few months and absolutely fell in love. And I was like, I'm going to come back. Took me seven years, but I came back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just decided professionally and personally I needed to get out of the environment that I was in. I felt a bit stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was one of the best decisions I think I made. Um, and I, this isn't the end of my journey of i course. think there's something else coming i don't know what that is yet but it's there's something coming and it's not i think too one of the important things that i i need to tell myself is that where i am right now is like i'm in a pretty powerful place mm. um professionally and personally i think i've made progress in the last five years and i have my whole life yeah right yeah. um and that's thanks to australia and coming to this beautiful country and I recognize that it's a, it's a beautiful country mm -hmm. um, and the opportunities that I've been able to have the organization that I work for um, you know and everything that I've sort of been able all the opportunities and I'm one of those people I just I just grab onto everything and mm. anything I can yeah yeah um, yeah so that's why I'm here <laughs> so how was your experience in landing here Moving to a new, whole new country, new city, not not new, completely new city, mm. but but finding your roots, mm. establishing your roots, and developing a sense of community. And it would have helped working with. Did you work with CMY from the very start mm. as well? Um, no, I jumped in a couple of you know, and this whole thing around change for me at the time. I actually came to Melbourne. I just to give context as well, I have worked in community work for over 10 yeah, years yeah. since I was sort of like 18, 19. And 
I came, at the time I was like, all right, I'm done with it. I'm leaving Whangarei and leaving New Zealand. I'm going going overseas, and I wasn't going to go into community work. Yeah, um, that was a big joke because I got here and I worked I worked in a um, factory um, in Hallam. Yeah, making carpet something. I don't even remember what it was. It's like some machine, big machines. I was painting and stuff. Um, Lasted about six weeks. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Went to, um, came back onto the west west side and um, started working at Mountain City Council. Right. Um, started developing some of their school holiday programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought, uh, so, sort of, that's my experience. It was an easy job to get. Yeah. Uh, and then while I was there, I was there for maybe six months, and then um, this job at CMY came up. Mm-hmm. But I think. Um, it was, if, we, if I go back to sort of my journey and my settlement here um, in Nam, it wasn't easy. Um, I think what makes it easy is I had family here mm-hmm. um, and I had friends from high school here. So I had that sort of connection to home, um, which I need. I need always now. Yeah. Okay, I need that connection to yeah. home somehow. Um, two, what makes it easy for me and what made it easy for me to come here was that it's literally a, 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 it's literally just like not far. It's like a three hour flight yeah. back home. Yeah. If I needed to, mm-hmm. I can just go home. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, those things made it easy, but also the struggle of finding work, of finding that that connection that I need and, that, and creating my village. I'll, I'll say like in the five years, it's only in the last year mm. that I've really felt comfortable with um the people that i've have around me um and finding that village has probably only happened in the last year Mm -hmm. so it took me a good four years to actually go through that i had to settle settle here and you know find a house and go through the processes of you know work and yeah um, do i actually want to be here um all of that so yeah it wasn't until like the last year or so that i've actually been able to find my village and so that you've done all the work to find your village and now it's time to go now because you're getting too yeah. comfortable <laughs> so yeah that's why my family will be laughing because they're like oh look at these off again <laughs> um yeah i don't and i don't i don't know what this next path or journey will take me whether it's another country yeah. or if it's just a change in my environment where i am now i just feel like you know and it's not that i'm again it's not that i'm not I'm not comfortable because I am being challenged in the spaces yeah, that I am in yeah. currently. Um, but there's something that's missing for me. And I think it might mm. be the stage of my life, maybe. I might be having a midlife crisis. <laughs> 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 I am 32. Is that midlife? <laughs> maybe. It depends on how long you plan to live for, I think. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but I'm the same way as you. I, I get a bit comfortable and then I'm like, hmm, hang on a second. I would, maybe it's our need for seeking novelty mm. as well and it could be the generation that we live in as well where where if you look at generations prior to us they've had to stick around because their options were a lot smaller mm. and that if you wanted to succeed you had limited i guess pathways to do what you needed to do but with the power of the internet in switching careers and being able to start again and being able to do so with little risk Mm. as well because i guess you you may have built yourself a a safety net in in other ways or you have family right you you are afforded that comfortability Mm -hmm. as well so maybe something to reflect on for the both of us as well yeah and the last thing i want to hear about is yeah, your time working in youth justice mm. as well, because it it wouldn't have been easy, would it? Working with, I guess, young people who are somewhat lost and get placed and stuck in systems where they may not normally be able to succeed. So do you have any stories and, and your work and experiences from there? Yeah, it's, um, you know... I feel, just as you're talking, I felt like a little bit like a sadness when mm. I think about it because I do think about the hundreds of young people that I've come across in my career and 
the journey and the the struggles that they go through in a system that doesn't fit them. Um, and I reflect mostly on the work that I've done in New Zealand, um, working with my own people. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's heartbreaking um, that our young people continue to feel and experience the effects of colonization hmm. um, in a system that is not built for them. Um, and I think it's it's always up to us for generations coming, for me, for the next generation and for my mother's generation to mm. be able to build and break down those barriers that past generations have felt. And um, yeah, so there's a bit of that. Um, my work in the youth justice space has been a colorful one. Um, to put it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I've come across some stories and some as well incredible young people that are still stay in contact with me. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I've worked with and they're flourishing in life. Um, some may not be, they might be, yeah. you know, in prison and things like that. But um, I always hope that whenever I come across a young person that I can say something or do something that could potentially, I think this is something that we need to think about in all areas of our lives is that when we come in contact with someone, I do it in my work in that space, is that as long as I can say something or do something for a young person that may potentially change their directory in life. Mm-hmm. Um, because the statistics show us that when a young person gets into that system, it's, pro- it's highly likely that they're going to be staying in that system for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. So if there's if we can catch that something early in, in a young person's life and try to just change that yeah. one course, that person's life will change forever. Yeah. Um, and there's some success stories and there's some not yeah. successful stories that I've had. Um, trying to think of like a, a specific young person, obviously without sharing any details. details. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a young person that um, I was working with and he was, if in my reflections, very misunderstood. Um, he was a young Maori man that was disconnected from his identity. Didn't know, he didn't know where he was from. Yeah. Didn't know his family. He was um, whangaid, which is a term um, sort of like adopted out to other families. He was in the system, passed from people to people. And I came across him when I was, when he was, um, I think about, he was at a young age, I think it was like high school, 15. And he was bad. Like, he was bad. Yeah. They, you know, the prime minister knew about him at the time. Yeah, right. And they had him in his own home. 24-hour care and I was doing the night shifts with him and um, he we built a really strong relationship I, did, I worked with him for two years and I was mm-hmm. also his youth worker during the day yeah um, so I would take him out on activities and try to instill um, some sort of I guess positive um, things in his life because mm-hmm. he didn't have a lot of that yeah and this boy was clever like he knew the system, yeah. Because he had he lived, he grew up in the system, mm-hmm. so he could tell you all the laws and like tell him his rights around you know all that that whole thing. So, yeah. um, I was I was uh, grateful to be able to work with him for a couple of years, and we grew a really strong relationship. Um, and he went on to through all of the work that we done and I, we connected him back to his because we found his family um, which wasn't too far from where i'm from it's yeah. like another another few valleys over um and so we connected him with his whanau with his family and uh, we went through a whole big journey and i would take it we found where his mountain was yeah, and I took him up. I've actually got photos of this. Actually, it's just remembering. Um, I took him for a walk wow. up his manga, up yeah. his mountain, and having that power and telling, being able to tell him stories. We found a 
uh, an old person, sort of like a rangatira, an elder um, of his family, and we went to go sit with them, um, just speak about his family. So that connection, mm. like, gave him power, and he went on to, like, he, I actually caught up with him. Um, he messages me now and then, um, still stay in touch, which is really nice. Yeah. And he's um, currently working on the boats and he's starting a family. Mm. And, you know, it's like, that, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, but when I think about that, it's because of those little things that we did. Mm-hmm. And those, and that's what I say around, as long as I can do something or say something to a young person that can change the course of their life. Mm-hmm. And I think it was literally with him. It was just showing him who he who he is, and his family, and it was taking him up as manga. Was going to go sit with an old person that knows his family. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm not saying that the creditor to me for doing that, but mm-hmm. it, he being able to just provide that space for him, um, I think yeah helped that change it change that journey in his life it must be really fulfilling to be able to impact another life Mm. in helping that young man at the time find himself and restore i guess confidence in his being and his connection to the world around him Mm. as well Mm. so what would you say your superpowers are oh my superpower Um, I think my superpower is, oh, hang on, this is a hard one. (laughs) For me, superpower is something that you can do with ease. Mm. And for me, it's, it might be something that people comment you comment on you about frequently as well and i shared this right before we started the podcast and people say that i have a such a grounding and a calm voice Mm. and to couple this with a meditative practice as well is it just aligns so well and i think i recognize that this could be my superpower i don't know but Mm. maybe it is and and Okay, that's it's that best shit. At this point, it's my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what I see yeah. about you is you're such a friendly giant. Mm. You're always so open and you've approached work and in all our interactions as community first, right? And especially yesterday when you share the keys for the venue, right? And you forgot to put it in your mailbox. <laughs> and then I sent Kano, our friend Kano out. And then you're just like, all right, just go into my house, go into my room. It's in my laptop bag. Look for that. Grab the keys and you're out, right? And that's such a community. My house is always open, but I'm not going to give you the address. <laughs> I'm not going to put the address on it. But literally, my house is always open. And I always tell people that come to my house, to my home, mm. um, that my door is literally always open. So I guess that's my superpower. Yeah. It's just connection and community um finding commonalities mm. and and um resonating my story with people yeah i think is um and i think when i think of that too it's like that's all that people want they just want to share themselves share their stories yeah you know um and that's i think why i do what i do currently is because young people that's all they want to do is just share their story yeah um so yeah i think connection connection and community probably one of my superpowers yeah. being able to connect community and you're right definitely is your superpower and look when we wrap up these podcasts we like to share three questions and as a moment of reflection on i guess your life your past experiences and Look, I'll share them with you now. What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my family. I think I'm always grateful for my family. Yeah, they're pretty incredible people. 
And I, I wish, I sometimes wish they were here and they can see yeah. or that people can experience the, the power that my mm-hmm. family, my people have. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for them. And what have you realized? I've realized, oh, I've realized that um, life is not always easy, mm-hmm. um, that we fail and failure is okay. Yeah. Um, just got to ride the boat. Yeah. And I think I've come to realize that in the last sort of few years is that mm-hmm. just keep we get battles, we fight battles, we yeah. hit barriers, we fail in certain things. It's all good. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Just keep going. I think realizing that it gives you gives you power to just keep going. Yeah. Mm. Incredible. And what is a question that you ask yourself? You're right. <laughs> Are you really right? No. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think normalizing asking yourself if you're okay yeah yeah because sometimes you're not okay and i've been in situations where i'm not okay and i don't say anything because you know you need to Mm. as a community person you need to go out there and you need to be this bright you know positive person and you're doing all the stuff yeah sometimes you need to just go away and ask yourself are you all good Mm. yeah 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 it's all good if you're not just deal with it (laughs) okay (laughs) I think I'll go home and ask myself that question later. <laughs> so, but it's just been so incredible to sit down and just have this open conversation mm. with you today. I guess the culmination of all our work over the years as well and a beautiful connection that we've established as well. So where can people find your find you and, and your work? Yeah, so um, I don't even think I mentioned this, um, but I work for the Centre for Multicultural Youth, uh, mm-hmm. CMY, which is one of the the biggest uh, multicultural organisations that work with young people from migrant refugee backgrounds in Australia. Um, so you literally, I've been there for five years now, so you just call anyone at CMY and they'll name me. So <laughs> just, just call the hotline at CMY, you'll get me. Um, so yeah, I'm there. Um, I'm also part of Ngā Mātai Pūrua, um, mm-hmm. which is a kapaka group. You can um, Facebook or Instagram, um, NMP. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just LinkedIn me, Bodine Hodaki. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so thank you all for listening today. I hope you found this discussion valuable and see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, Liam. Cheers.